Make up your life to start anew. You'll find out some things to be true. Like you are stronger than you once knew. Hi, I'm Lenora Calaruso. Has your journey towards health and wellness been a rocky road? Mine sure was. Plus, I have a busy life as a mother of five, a grandmother of two, an RN, a personal trainer, Reiki master, and a nutritional counselor. Whew! How do I fit it all in? Well, it's balance. Think, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears. Not too much of something and not too little. Just right. My podcast is designed to inspire you towards that next step of achieving and maintaining everlasting health and wellness. Welcome to It's a New Dawn for You. You pack up your life to start anew. You find out some things to be true. It's a New Dawn for You, which is the name of my business and podcast, came to me while meditating. My sister-in-law Dawn had died a couple of years before, and to say I was close to her is an understatement. She was my best friend, my confidant, pretty much my everything. The meaning of the name is my firm belief that there is always a new day, a new beginning to try again. And I felt it was Dawn giving me a message loud and clear that the name was perfect. Hello, everybody. Um, I got certified in yin yoga about seven months ago. And in Lenore type fashion, I searched to find out as much as I could about what I practice and teach So I stumbled upon my guest, Josh Summers, researching yin yoga on my podcast app. His podcast, Everyday Sublime, features Josh and his calming and welcoming voice, and I learned so much just by listening to him. I knew I had to have him on my my podcast to share all his wisdom with you all. Josh is a yin yoga teacher, an acupuncturist, and meditation instructor, um, so welcome, Josh. So honored Thanks that you're honor. here. Um, yeah. yeah, so I like to start my podcast generally with a story, like how what led you to where you are today. So would you like to share that? Like what brought you to yin yoga? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's really nice welcome. to meet you. Um, I think uh, my journey to yin may be similar to other people's journey to yin. Um, basically, uh, I was very heavily practicing Iyengar yoga in the 90s, and um, I was really in love with that practice. And at some point, I got increasingly interested in meditation. And um, at one point, a friend of mine invited me to go on a silent week-long meditation retreat with him. And I kind of naively... Uh, ignorantly uh, signed up thinking it wouldn't that be that difficult or much of, that much of a big deal. And when I got there onto this retreat, I just found that my body had a ton of resistance physically and I would have a lot of achiness in my hips and knees and back. And, and um, there's also a fair amount of resistance in my mind to 
what was happening in my body and what was happening outside of my body with other people. Um, and I, it kind of woke up in me a, a desire to figure out how I could prepare my body to sit more comfortably, mm-hmm. uh, just on a very basic level. And um, I had had a, one of my students at the time uh, had just returned from a teacher training in yin yoga, Paul Greeley and Sarah Powers. And um, her name is Christine O'Shaughnessy. And um, she uh, slowly kind of introduced me to the practice. And once I took to it, I really saw that uh, my body indeed did change. And, and certain areas of restriction opened up. And sitting, sitting for longer periods of meditation became much more pleasant. And um, I felt like I got into some of the deeper layers of the meditation process that I couldn't really access when my attention was just hovering on the surface of dealing with achiness. So this goes back about almost 20 years now, and um, and uh, it's sort of been a, an ongoing love affair since. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that, um, in my own journey myself, I feel like um, it's an evolution pretty much like I'm in my 50s, 54, and I practice Ashtanga and hot yoga and all of that. And I feel that um, you come to a point where you appreciate the calming aspect of yoga, and it it almost gives me so much more now. That's how I stumbled upon you because, um, I mean, how do you feel about that, like in different ages and um, – as you as you go yeah. along your journey, you go. Yeah, I think there are some. I think there are some fairly consistent, almost universals in people's experience with their "quote unquote" yogic journey, spiritual journey. Um, I feel like mine patterns into that kind of universal archetype in a certain sense, where you might start out and your your priorities are are very young in nature. Sometimes you want you feel like you hear about a spiritual path or a yoga practice and and um, you might get someone might get drawn to the, the kind of the striving part of that path, where you're, you're striving to control the body and attain certain range of emotion and, and get into more advanced postures, thinking that that's going to bring you to some kind of greater greater expansion of consciousness, maybe or deeper understanding of something. Um, and even in the meditation, I think when people start out with meditation. And, and, and certain traditions emphasize this too, but there can be a kind of um, excess control that we're applying to our practice where we're trying to really get the mind to get very quiet and into a very rarefied state and maybe cut down on extraneous discursive thinking to a certain extent. Um, and I think over time, you know, there's a way that that kind of zeal that people start their journey with kind of starts to transform i think it it may you may people may start to come up against the limitations of that kind of striving and when they feel the limitations of that striving they might start to reprioritize what they're trying to do and achieve and so for the what you described you started to really value the calm that you were feeling in your your practice and and that calm didn't have to do it so much with getting your foot behind your head it's just it was something that was a kind of subtler layer that became available um, with a different approach to your practice yeah. So I think as people age, there's a there's a at least for me to you know, definitely a wearing away of a certain kinds of ambition and a reprioritization around um, developing different qualities or different states in the, in the process. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's more of, it's not even that I don't think my body can do the harder when I, when we still, you know what, can you explain young to the audience that, you know, for people who don't really know the difference between yin and yang and all of that. So yeah, explain that. Yeah. So, so yin and yang are terms that come out of Taoist um, kind of worldview. It, they're, they're terms to describe patterns in nature and specifically relationships between the entities in nature. Um, so, they're oppositional complementary qualities or dynamics and nothing it, it, it's worth saying this from the very beginning nothing in itself is inherently yin or yang um, things are only yin or yang relatively more yin or relatively more yang in relationship to something else mm-hmm. um, so the, the Chinese characters that these words are derived from um, the, the, the character for yin represents the shady side of the hill and the character for yang represents the sunny side of the hill and uh, so when we look at nature things that tend to be more dynamic more active brighter hotter more fluid um, more creative more generative more controlling those tend to be more yang in nature and things that are more yin tend to be hidden darker quieter cooler slower um, uh, more quiescent still those kind of qualities are referred to the term yin. Mm-hmm. So, I, I you know when I got introduced to yin yoga, I started thinking, okay, you can, keep, can sort of use that that lens of analysis to to understand um, and compare different styles of yoga. So, active yoga practices would be one where you're moving more uh, frequently. You might be engaging the muscles more. You're generating more of a sweat. More dynamic activity occurring within that practice, and in contrast, styles of practice that are slower, um, don't have as much movement, uh, maybe a little bit cooler in them, and working on a different layer of the body, those would be called more yin in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's how you can apply it to looking at that, 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 that lens, looking at yoga, and I tried to also take that general lens and apply it to analyzing different styles of meditation and even sort of to develop my own. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that because that yeah. that's what I'm uh, pretty much addicted to, <laughs> which isn't what you want <laughs> to happen with your yoga, I mean with your uh, meditation, but I am practicing and we will definitely get into that later because sure. that, that is a huge reason why I wanted to interview you because, um, you know, I've been practicing meditation for, oh my God, almost 15 years and uh the fact that you were talking about yin and yang and you talked about in one of your podcasts how even meditation is more, the traditional meditation is more yang in nature. And that got me really thinking. I think you said that pervadum. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but con- going back to your breath, going to the mantra, um, to me is pretty controlling now that I th- think about it, you know. Um, so you really exposed me to something I actually call it freedom meditation because you're pretty much free to do whatever. And it gives such a, it's such a release to me, but we'll discuss yeah. that more later. Okay. Cause that's sure. definitely going to be, that's huge for me in this mm. interview. Okay, great. Yeah. So, um, so when we talk about yin and yang too, it doesn't just apply to yoga. So if I'm working out, I'm a personal trainer, 
uh, and I'm working out like a beast. That's very young in nature. So we're not saying that you need more one more than the other. So I do combine them, but I just find that the the type of yoga that I do now and teach is um, restorative. And mm-hmm. I haven't actively taught yin, but I practice yin. And I will be, t- I will teach yin at some point. Um, but can you explain the difference in, I know the difference, but can you explain the difference uh, of yin yoga and restorative yoga? I find that that's, a lot of people get very confused with that and, you know, think they're one and the same or. Right, right, right. So, so maybe before I um, go into discussing the difference between yin and restorative yoga, it might be good just to clarify a little bit more the difference between yin and yang yoga. Okay. So what in the yin community, what we try to say is that um, yang yoga, uh, where you're engaging the muscles, tends to strengthen and improve flexibility in the muscle and the fascia around the muscles a little bit more than, say, a passive practice. Um, and in yin yoga, the intention is to come into a pose, as you know, and relax the muscles in the targeted regions you're trying to influence. Um, and when you relax the muscles in a posture and stay still for a while in a posture, the emphasis of the, the, the stress of the pose shifts into the joint tissue more. So yin yoga, the intention around it is to there's really a tissue-specific exercise for the denser connective tissues in and around the joint. Mm-hmm. It's not that, and, and people will still feel things when they're in the pose in their, their muscle and fascia, but the emphasis, when you relax the muscles, the emphasis is, is conveyed more into the joint space. So we're, we're really uh, asking a little bit more of the joint tissue to uh, stimulate a kind of physiological response to strengthen and repair and maintain the health of that tissue. Mm-hmm. So where yin yoga has that kind of an intention, it's kind of a specific exercise and a specific type of tissue in the body. Um, restorative yoga, as I understand, um, may look similar to yin in that you're in a pose on the floor, you maybe you may be not using both uh, props and things, but the intention of restorative isn't so much to stress the joint or stress the tissue in a way, it's to kind of open the body and prop it in a way so that the nervous system can really calm down mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. can, can provide a kind of down regulation um, on an energetic level, but it doesn't have that same exercise quality to the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, the, 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 the tricky thing is that where it gets confusing is if you look at yin yoga and, yang, and restorative yoga from the outside, uh, th- those, those practices may look very similar. The differentiating uh, feature is what is going on for the person when they're in the pose. If they're feeling a, like a, a yin-appropriate stress or a gentle stress in their tissue, that's more of a yin yoga experience. And if they're right. feeling a very, very mild or neutral experience in the pose, that's more of a restorative experience. Right. So there's no, definitely no edge in restorative yoga. You're definitely there's some discomfort, quote unquote, in yin yoga then there is yeah, restorative, right. but a good it's, uncomfortable <laughs> not. Yeah, it's sort of a, I, different people's uh, languages differently, but in the yin, you're look at, when you play your edge, you're looking for a mild, moderate, dull, 
maybe slightly achy, slightly bitter sensation. You're just aware that you're asking a little bit more of the tissue, whereas in restorative, there's usually more of a neutrality to the, uh, the sensation. And, um, and I should qualify. I am not a restorative yoga teacher. Right, right. So, uh, my characterization may not meet the criteria of, of what a, an authorized restorative teacher Yeah, is. for I, me, it's just I, relying on the earth or the props and just totally letting go and surrendering to the earth and mm-hmm. the props. So the nervous right. system totally relaxes. You pretty much explained it correctly. But um, yeah. for people who don't know the difference between the yin and the restorative, I just find a lot of uh, confusion about that because it looks the same, exactly what you're saying. And then what is your take on props in yin yoga? I know my teacher didn't really – wasn't big on the props. So um, what's your feeling props. on props for yin yoga? Yeah. I mean, my feeling on props in yin yoga is that they are tools that can be used to either bring, they can, the tools that can be used to bring more sensation to a region you're trying to stress and influence, or they can be used to take sensation away from an area that you're not trying to stress and influence. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the, you know, as, as I talk to my trainees and in a teacher training, I, I often say, like, it's fine to use props. I encourage you to use props in yin yoga. My only request is that you don't unilaterally or homogeneously prop your class exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's what can sometimes happen is that a teacher will say, okay, so take out a bolster, and when you come into a pose, hold, everybody put the bolster in this position so that your head can rest on it and supporting you in a certain way. When you do that or when the teacher does that, they're making the assumption that everyone would experience exactly. the use of that prop in the same manner, and that's, right. that's not the case. Everybody will feel it differently. So um, I encourage more of an individualized custom use of the prop. Yeah. Maybe maybe a handful or some of the people in your class will be using a prop for a certain pose, and others would be using a prop in a different way or no prop at all. Um, it's really it's, it's the, the use of the prop is dependent on what the intention of the prop is and what then happens when someone uses the prop, what's their experience. Mm-hmm. Is the prop servicing, serving the intention of the pose or is it sort of hindering it? So, for example, just maybe listeners might be a little confused with what I'm saying. Yeah, I was going to ask if, you to if, explain that. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you could imagine um, coming into what we call a yin yoga swan pose, which uh, is just to differentiate from an active uh, pigeon posture, but if you come into pigeon or swan, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes if the if the forward leg's hip is elevated and there's space between the hip and the, and the floor, a teacher might see that space and then be inclined to put the prop underneath it. Now that could that prop could be used to help them be at an edge that's tolerable, where they feel modest sensation in the outer hip where they're trying to target. But at the same time, the, the prop may come in and then remove the sensation that the person was feeling. So they're no longer getting the, the edge. specific stress. Like, yeah, they're no right, longer getting the edge, right. and, it, and it becomes more of a restorative thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I encourage people to play with props, try them out uh, in, in different poses, in different places and poses. But ultimately, the, pay, the student really needs to pay attention to what is the effect in the body when the prop is being used? Is it serving the intention or is it hindering the access to the intention? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, that's why I wanted you to explain because, yeah, when you say playing the edge, um, 
it is a little bit uncomfortable, but that's why you stay in. How long do you stay in the poses? Almost some, at some point, up to ten minutes, correct? It could, yeah. At I times? mean, there's a in terms of time for postures in Yin Yoga. There's loose guidelines that for most poses, particularly poses from the navel down to the knees, where you're influencing that that region, navel to knees. I would say anywhere from say two to six minutes as a as a starting place. Mm-hmm. But how long someone stays in a pose, just like how a person uses a prop, but how long someone stays in a pose will be dependent on their tissue's tolerance to the stress. Right. So, you know, if, you, if people think about it in terms of muscular exercise, if you're doing pull-ups and you haven't done pull-ups before, you might only be able to do one or two pull-ups. If that. Set when, when you, if, <laughs> yeah, if that. But if you practice it, you know, you, one thing you will expect is you're going to improve your strength. And over time, you might be able to do five to ten reps in a set. Mm-hmm. And the analogy here would be that in yin, in the beginning, if you haven't trained your tissue to tolerate these kinds of stresses, it may be more a fragile, weakened state. Mm-hmm. So in this case, you would want to hold back and maybe hold for less period of time. Right. But as your tissue's tolerance increases... As a result of the training you're subjecting it to, your tissue will will probably be able to hold longer holds. You know, so five minutes would, would be more available, or even ten, as you said, you could start to hold pose, some poses, not all of them, but some of them could be held longer. Um, but the key thing is that the, the practitioner, the student who's practicing it, needs to be able to play their edge and listen to the sensations. So when the sensations simmer above a mild, moderate slightly achy sensation, that's when you need to come out. If anyone feels pain, sharpness, aggressive sensation. Right, tingling, anything like that. Yeah, tingling, numbness, but even mental. I really think with a lot of mental agitation, too, it's good to back off to come out. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that you you should be doing, or what you do in yin yoga, isn't it being still? Uh, Just stay in the pose, uh, play with your edge, be still, breathe. You know, the breath will bring you further into the pose eventually, maybe, as you breathe yeah, into well, it, what, what it and release. And so, so there are two things you just brought up which are good to, to, to unpack. One is um, stillness and how does stillness function in the pose. And then um, you talk about using the breath and going further and releasing. Um, so maybe let me take the latter, that last one first and just say that um, in the in the course of being proposed, you some tissue may release, the tension may release in the muscle, fascia, or even in the joint, and you may be able to go to a, a little bit more, a further range of motion. But that's not really the the, the explicit intention per se. Mm-hmm. The explicit intention is to just place a load on the joint tissue to activate a, a healthy physiological response and create and strengthen that tissue. Um, it, we're not. We're definitely not trying to um, create excessive length in the joint tissue, which is where some people get concerned about the, the what we say in Yin Yoga. So, this is where uh, you know Bernie Clark would say we want to differentiate between stressing tissue and stretching it. Mm-hmm. And stressing is putting a, a, a force on it, a mild force, to um, sort of catalyze the this, this physiological response. Stretching it would be a lengthening of the tissue due to that mechanical force. Mm-hmm. Um, some tissues will stretch a little bit, and that's okay. 
but we're not seeking excessive stretch or excessive range of motion. Um, so for some people, depending on what their tension is like and also what, is, what their skeletons are like, uh, they may experience an increased range of motion or they may find they kind of they get a little bit of release for a while and then they, they kind of their their increase in range of motion plateaus and their their poses more or less look the same but they are still stressing the tissue in a way that's beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. So so increased range of motion I should say is not always part of what happens. Um, if if there's been compromised range of motion or there's limited range of motion people do seem to find that this helps rehabilitate or regain normal, healthy ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you asked, um, the, other, the first part of your question uh, was about stillness, right? And stillness is a, a, a tenet of the practice. Um, and the, so in my opinion, it can be a tricky part of the practice because if a student feels like stillness it's really important to be still, and they can't move in a pose, and if they move, they'll, they'll lose out on the, the benefit of the practice, so to do the quote-unquote practice incorrectly if they move. Then that can get a student to be remaining at an edge that is potentially injurious. Okay. In other words, you come into a pose, and you're, you, you feel initially you're at your mild edge, right? Mm-hmm. And then you stay still for as long as you're, you set the time to stay still for. And then maybe a few minutes into that period of time, the sensations get quite intense. That I would suggest, I would strongly suggest that if the sensations get very intense, the student needs to back off from right, that edge, come right, to a milder right. edge. But if the student is holding too tightly to the idea of being still, they could override that, 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 that feedback of sensation telling them to come back um, and then get into a, a dangerous situation where they could injure themselves. Mm-hmm. So stillness is important, but it's lower on my priority list than playing the edge. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's the main thing I want to get out around. I'm stillness. glad to explain it's, it's, that. It's, it's a good point, but it, it's just it, uh, you try to be relatively still is how I'd say. Be relatively still, but don't let the stillness override the importance of either going further a little bit if you can and impose when things uh, open up or backing off if you need to when things get too intense. This is where I think a good yoga teacher comes in too, like every once in a while giving them that uh, reminder, like what you just said, back off. Yes. Because I know a lot of people will, me included, in my old days with yoga wanted to push a little further in anything I did, you know, even though this is more uh, yin yin type practice obviously it, it, it i would still probably if i didn't ha- get that prompt from the teacher uh yeah just a reminder you know don't go past your edge just go to the edge you know that is a good reminder right and 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 it's sort of ta- uh, tangential to what you just said it kind of how you describe when you first came you maybe a little bit too much. I think this is common for people that are newer to yin yoga. They come to yin from a more yang practice where they're used to striving. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a danger in applying that yang striving mindset where you think more is better, more uh-huh. is that I want to get more. And you apply that to yin, that's where you can also get in trouble. So um, I, I try to make a few statements around that with newer students. I say something like, just be aware that because your muscles are relatively cool, when you go into a posture, your muscle layer, 
muscle and fascia won't absorb the range of motion as much. So your poses, your range of motion of pose, the same pose you do in a yang or active practice, in a yin context, your range of motion won't be as significant. Mm-hmm. As a joke, it won't look it won't look as spiritually impressive. <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, and you really so you have to honor like it's it, it can't be overstated enough that a, a, someone in the yin practice needs to honor the edge and actually internalize the idea that less is actually more. Yeah, definitely less is more, and it's it's that's a learning thing for a lot of people. Yeah. And just like you, yeah. like I was talking in the beginning of, people come from a more active practice and. I'm just saying in general, the younger people who are in this, where they are right now, and there's nothing wrong with it because I did the same thing growing up with the yoga when I was younger, uh, coming again and striving, 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 and giving yourself permission to back off and (laughs) just back off. And especially in restorative yoga, just being free of that tension, just being, you know, that's hard for a lot of people. You know, it's it hard, and we need it. Definitely. We so need it for our health. You know. Um, well, yeah, and that, and that's something that I didn't. I, I I forgot to mention it when I was talking about yin and yang as a general um, analytical lens to look at and look at and understanding things in your experience or in nature. But from a Taoist perspective, health, and this is what influenced Chinese medicine, but health is a harmonious transformation from yin into yang and yang into yin where um, we go through different stages of our day or stages in our life and we're moving and and smoothly transitioning from one phase to the next but also health is a balance between the two right so it's not that yang is bad and yin is better or yin is bad or yang they're Mm -hmm. they're complementary energies and capacities and dynamics that we want to be aware of so that we can help promote that harmonization. Right. They, they create equilibrium. Yeah, I'm not saying an equilibrium in the body, mind, and spirit, and heart. Um, yeah, I'm right. not saying one is needed more than the other, uh, but the mindset that people have sometimes, because yin, I think, right. is quite sort of new. Um, you know, I really didn't hear too much about yin until the last few years. Um mm. And even restorative yoga, uh, been around forever, I'm sure. But, you know, it's just people are becoming aware that it's so needed. Yang is, it's fine to have, it, you have to have both, just like you said. But right. in our day and age with all this technology, and it's, it's so needed to bring your body down from all of it. So anything that's yeah. going to bring my body down, I'm interested in. So, mm-hmm. um can we talk a little bit about meridians? Um, can you explain them and what they are? In- sure. Um, so meridians is a word that translates from the Chinese uh, phrase jing luo, which refers to channels of um, channels in the body, pathways in the body through which um, a higher concentration of vital energy is circulated. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, maybe before we go to the meridian uh, channel discussion too much, we should just say that the Chinese have a concept of vital energy similar to the Ayurvedic concept of prana. Uh, They have a concept of vital energy that they refer to as qi. Mm -hmm. And qi is this organizational intelligence that 
helps uh, every part of your body communicate with every other part of the body and ensures that um, your organs are functioning well and that your mind is functioning well. And so a, a communica- communication system needs a network through which uh, the intelligence can be communicated, and that's what the channels are. Well, that's what the meridians are. They're, they're primary highways or pathways in the body through which the spinal energy is conducted. And do you focus and, on these when you teach? Um, uh, when you teach Yin? Yeah, there's, there's. So when I teach Yin, what I, what I say to folks in, in trainings, I say you know, Yin Yoga is sort of a very simple practice of coming to poses and staying relatively still for longer periods of time, so the muscles relax. And within that simplicity, the teacher and the practitioner can highlight different aspects of the practice that um, that they're interested in. So some people are really interested in the physical side of the practice, some people are more interested in the energetic side of the practice, and some people are more interested in the meditative side. So I happen to be interested in all three, and depending on the day, depending on the time of year, uh, depending on the class, I might give more emphasis on the energetic lens or the energetic layer, more, or more emphasis on the meditative, et cetera. Um, so if I talk about the idea in yin yoga is that when you uh, hold the pose, uh, you are generating a, a stress through a long line of uh, fascia in the body. And there's a, a view of the channels that the channels live or exist within planes of connective tissue. Or mm-hmm. sometimes I, I spoke to recently Dr. Daniel Keown in, in England feels that the, um, the channels are located in the space between planes of fascia. Uh, very, now, very, I know very, what very fascia small. is, but can you explain fascia to the audience for me? Yeah, uh, sort of a couple good... Make it um, simple because I know that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the it's, buzzword. It's a complicated topic. I would say your fascia is... your One definition is your soft skeleton. So it's, it's not the hard bones per se. It's the soft collagenous tissue webbing that wraps around literally everything in your body. So it's a body-wide, three-dimensional fabric um, made of collagen, elastin, and, and uh, kind of viscous gel fluid um, that, that pervades through the whole body. And in certain areas, like between muscles and between muscles and bones, there's, there's um, kind of corridors of fascial planes that correlate often to the, lo- the, the traditional location of Chinese channels. So it's muy importante. Yeah. Fascia. And, 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 and so coming back to the practice, though, for a second, you know, when people are in a yin pose and they feel uh, a dull achiness in the region that they're stressing, that dull achiness is actually a temporary energetic stagnation generated by the pose. It's a little bit like kinking the, the garden hose when the water's running through it. That water, when the, there's a kink present, the water doesn't flow through it, kind of backs up with greater pressure. Mm-hmm. And the same idea is, is believed to occur in the yin practice, where when you hold a pose, you're creating that gentle kink in the channel, if you will, uh, generating a little bit of stagnation. But when you release the pose, then that's when there's a greater enhanced conductance of chi through the, the region. prana will flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, prana will flow. Yeah. Um, but it's important to, like, what we were talking about, the, that sensation that's difficult to tolerate sometimes mm-hmm. when you're in the pose. 
uh, when you feel that dull achiness, your chi is a little stuck, and the Chinese have a view that your chi and emotions flow in parallel or in tandem with each other. So if the chi is not flowing temporarily, that can also create kind of that emotional stuckness, which is why often in the beginning, in particular, people feel kind of an edginess or an agitation, restlessness in the postures um, while they're doing the pose. And then when they come out, there's often this feeling of sort of settled calm that emerges as a result of the chi flowing. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't want the time to go too long before we get to the uh, meditation portion. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about that. I listened to one of your podcasts with Jason Ziff. Uh, on meditation. Mm-hmm. I actually read his book. Uh, oh, great. Yeah, I did. And I lent it to someone. I didn't get it back yet. So I'm not happy mm-hmm. about that. But um, did he introduce you to what you call yin meditation? Yeah, that's a good that's a good starting point. I um, So before I, I met Jason about four or five years ago now, and um, he has a system of meditation that he calls recollective awareness meditation. Mm-hmm. And I, um, prior to meeting him, I had been practicing for a long time in a style of meditation known as Vipassana or insight meditation. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the, the early Buddhist style of meditation that has been kind of secularized and become part of the mindfulness movement now. Mm-hmm. And uh, in working in insight meditation, I had exposure to many different teachers, Western teachers, Eastern teachers, teachers from Burma, Thailand, etc. And over the years, I even though I was in this sort of quote-unquote same tradition, the insight tradition, I realized that depending on who I was talking to, what teacher I was working with, the emphasis of the practice would be very different. Um, some teachers would, would really emphasize striving and putting a lot of energy and heroic energy into your practice, like my Burmese teacher did. And other teachers would emphasize a very relaxed, soft, receptive approach to your experience, not in de-emphasizing technique and de-emphasizing um, striving uh, strongly. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't know how these two things fit together. I couldn't figure it out for a long time. Like it, it just seemed like they were talking about two different things, two different practices or two different, um, I mean, really two different agendas. And uh, I did... So early on, I started to see that some teachers were more young in nature. They were more striving and controlling in terms of the way they spoke about the practice. And explain and that a little te- bit, because when people think about striving, and they're, they're not, to me, it made a lot of sense what you said, like I said in the beginning, about um, even focusing on your breath or focusing on this mantra. That's, that's striving. That's telling you what to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that made yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, ex- ex- people, exact- People exactly. don't even so, think of that, though, and th- that made me really aware. It was like, that's why I call it freedom yeah, meditation, because it's, you're free <laughs> to let, and well, we'll talk about it. Your things that you talk about, your perching, receptivity, and permission, I love that. So hopefully I want to get into that, because it's this is important for me to to talk about. Cause, so, sure, sure. You know, and I, and I want to be clear that striving in itself is not bad. Right, it's, right, a, right. A, a yin, yin quality is not, a yang quality is not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just that um, I, I feel like a lot of people get, in, get, get into states of frustration and confusion mm-hmm. in meditation. And that's why the I bring it up, because it's, yeah. oh, I can't meditate because, you right. know. So, 
So the yang meditation, the way I loosely describe yang meditation is that yang meditation is any kind of practice where you're explicitly trying to direct your attention to do something specific. Mm-hmm. So as you're saying, it could be focusing, your, directing your attention on the breath. When your mind wanders, you bring your attention back, right back to the breath. It could be a mantra that you're working with. It could be a body scan that you're working with. It could mm-hmm. be even a practice of listening to sound. But when you're, when you're directing and redirecting your attention again and again to something specific, that directionality is what I classify as a more of a yang style of practice. Mm-hmm. In, in contrast to what I'm calling yin meditation, where you lead, rather, you lead with receptivity itself. Rather than trying to direct your attention on one thing, you start out with a soft mindset of receptivity to really whatever goes on for you while you're sitting. Mm-hmm. And the right there is a little bit of a different, um, or big difference. But I would say, you know, backing up for one second, uh, in working both of my own experience in meditation and trying to share meditation with students, I found that there was a lot of frustration people had. And the frustration usually comes about be- between a, between what the instructions say to do and what the person's experience is when they're meditating, what their mind is actually doing. Mm-hmm. There's usually a tension. So for, as a simple example, if you're focusing on the breath and your mind is completely, uh, continually drawn into thinking about the future or the past, even though the person might say, oh, the teacher might say, this is going to happen and your mind wanders and relax and bring it back, there's still within that, embedded within that instruction of a kind of an implicit view that good meditation is when your mind is on the breath, bad meditation is when you're lost wandering thought. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then so that that's where the the frustration comes from. Mm-hmm. People are like I can't can't get this to get to line up. Yeah, correctly. you're so right on <laughs> like about my, that. Yes, yes, yes. Kind of, and then so the other piece that's I think also confusing for people or generates some confusion is what is the broader intention of meditation? And this is where traditions and different lineages and different systems have different um, claims around what the intention is. I would say a lot. there's two broad intentions we could think about. One is an intention to bring about a particular state of mm-hmm. experience. And, and this would be more of a yogic, samadhi-based style of meditation where you're trying to control your mind to bring about an optimal state of either quietude or calm or transcendence or realization of something. And in contrast to styles of meditation that try to generate a particular state of experience there are systems of meditation of which buddhism is one which emphasize more uh, wisdom or awareness and understanding around the nature of all states Mm -hmm. and that's 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 a that's a real big fork in the spiritual road between whether you're trying to get into a specific state or you're trying to develop a more comprehensive understanding of the nature of all states and because i have been immersed in more of the Buddhist system, I uh, try, have tried to develop a, a practice that reflects that intention. Mm-hmm. So rather than leading with control, which would be a way to generate a particular state, I suggest one leads with receptivity to be open to the, 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 the nature of all states that emerge while you're meditating so that you can develop greater wisdom and understanding and hopefully compassion and kindness mm-hmm. towards those states. Mm-hmm. They talk about the perch. I love this. So if you could explain that, I just love the analogy of it, just the gentleness yeah. of it. 
Yeah. So and and again, so this is, gets into sort of the a loose outline of principles of yin meditation. And this is, and I want to be clear, this is why I do call it yin, yin meditation as opposed to what my teacher, Jason Schiff, calls it as recollective awareness meditation. Okay. I just found that for application to people doing yin yoga, it can, it's, you know, I think just the name yin meditation is a little bit easier to, to, to connect with than uh, a phrase like recollective awareness. But it's basically the same, same, same approach. And the first element of a yin practice or yin meditation practice is to let your awareness or let your one's awareness rest on a perch. And the perch is something fairly neutral in your experience that you, that doesn't, that doesn't have a little sort of psychological or reactive charge around it. Mm-hmm. So things like things that could function as a perch for a meditator might be just the simple feeling of their hands resting on their lap. Mm-hmm. There's a point of contact that their hands have, or the feeling of their sit bones on the cushion, or um, some people like to use their breath as the perch, um, and some people like to use the field of sounds that are just naturally in the, occurring in the environment mm-hmm. as something to let your attention rest on. Um, and this, this, the word perch is used specifically uh, to compare those experiences to what they're the way they're normally framed in meditation which is that you're trying to anchor your attention exactly i was just going to say that to you and i used to say that i used to say that and then you have me thinking about it and i'm anchor it's like so rigid (laughs) you know i just love the i know you're making room for both i know there's nothing wrong with both ways but uh, or any way of meditation if you meditate that's great any way you do it is fine, but the whole perch, I think of a little bird falling softly on the on the branch. Just It's just so gentle, and it's forgiving, and it's, you know, just... Right. Well, so, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's looser, right? And, yes. And, and the idea of an anchor, you know, and I talk about this in my meditation training, but, you know, an anchor, the thing that gets attached to anchors are boats, and if boats aren't attached to an anchor... Uh, and they're not sailing or motoring. <laughs> they yeah. can drift, and and when they drift, they the, the idea is you know they'll 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 get to trouble. They'll crash into the rocks or drift out to sea or something. Um, so basically, the idea is if you're not anchored, bad things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I and that's where I I question that that assumption in that um, I think it's there's a way that in the meditation we can develop a more collaborative creative relationship to our mind and we can trust it more that we don't, yes. we don't have to re- we don't have to restrain it so much we can develop something with it so the perch as you as you've really picked up and latched on to i think you know the perch has this changes the whole energy of your relationship to the process because the thing that lands on perches are birds and birds can are free to fly there's freedom in that which you, you're picking up on so exactly. uh, in the meditation you can let your mind fly about and explore things um, and when you're tired or you feel like it's time to rest or come to something else, you can let it come back to a perch yes, by choice. I love it. So love that it. gets that gets into the other aspects of the meditation, the in meditation, where after you establish a perch that you rest your attention on, then I suggest um, someone be receptive, try to be receptive to their experience mm-hmm. um, as a starting point. And within that receptivity, feel free to explore things. And what makes this a little different or a lot different from conventional meditation is that the things you explore could be things from your life, topics from your life, 
um, thoughts about things, kind of non-ordinary states where your your mind is dreaming or drifting into uh, some other altered territory. Um, you're really free, free to explore whatever you'd like. And then in that receptivity and exploration, just like we play the edge in the physical pose, if content emerges in your meditation that's very difficult, if there's stuff that's maybe overwhelming or you feel flooded by something, within when that occurs, the, the meditator would have choice and permission to redirect their attention to back to the perch or even turn their attention to maybe a different meditation practice that they've done before. Right, back to your breath or back to a mantra or whatever works for you. That's why I love it, because it's giving you this permission to do that. Right, 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 right. right. That's why I love it. And that's why I I want to... This approach really isn't meant to be um, like a a divergence from other approaches. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be a complementary strategy to support someone else in the someone when they're doing maybe a different practice. Right. Because that would make it rigid too, if you said this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. And and I do, and I, I, now I'm practicing this, I'm also, I mean, I've been very successful meditator, I've meditated for 15 years, and I, I, quote unquote, got it from the beginning, I'm just took to it. What what did you do for, what was your meditation practice? Well, I did, I had a mantra, a mantra. I I went to a spiritual advisor about 15 years ago. And according to my birth date and all of that, I was given a mantra and I kind of just stuck with that. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's just my breath, but I'm very fortunate where I will just sit and have quiet and just go into my space. But Mm -hmm. I'm open to anything I mean, I'm open to listening to other people's ideas or when I came upon you, um, it just made a lot of sense because a lot of people that I tell meditation saved my life, which it did, meditation and yoga, um, the answer was like, oh, I I can't meditate. I've tried to meditate, blah, blah, blah. I just think this would be an easier approach for people to perhaps start out with. Um, Even the journaling, like I'll journal a little bit after um, and yeah. I think Jason Siff had talked about that journaling after, uh, even for a couple minutes. Um, and I pretty much do that. I think it gives you a lot of insight. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me actually piggyback on that for a second and just say that there is a feature of this approach of the yin approach or recollective awareness approach to meditation is to spend some time after the meditation, reflecting on what went on during the meditation. And mm-hmm. you can do that just sitting quietly and reflecting for a bit, or as you mentioned, you could use a journaling exercise as a way of um, reflecting on your experience. The whole point of that is that there may be things that during the meditation that you go through that you, you don't necessarily have a clear awareness of while it's happening. Um, because when you start a meditation with more receptivity when you are receptive one of the things you become receptive to are cloudier fuzzier not so sharp sharply focused states of mind Mm -hmm. those those and those kind of cloudier states of mind or thinking states of mind when you get lost in thought um, those tend to be disallowed by most other forms of meditation they're seen as suboptimal experiences 
Um, so not much attention is given to them. But in the yin approach, uh, really we take it as an operating, sort of an operative assumption that all experience has value in terms of developing wisdom. We can learn about ourselves in relationship to all sorts of different experiences. But when there's experiences that go on in the meditation that we're not so clear about while they're happening, the way we can get to know them more is after the fact through recollection, through, through memory, through mm-hmm. the capacity of memory. Mm-hmm. So the, the journaling recollection piece is just another way of developing presence to what the conditions or experiences of our meditation were like. Particularly, uh, I would say, getting to know the, um, the mental experiences, what the thoughts we're thinking about, the emotional topics, the themes that were coming in. You can review that and uh, explore it more in the journal. Yeah, and when do we ever really get to do that? I thought about this, too. It's like we're bombarded by our phones, computers, music, people. When do we ever just let our thoughts come in? You know, we're always taught right. to the, oh, your thoughts are like, a, you know, we talked about, go back to your breath, go back to your, how about exactly what I'm doing is just letting my thoughts come in with this freedom. And that's why I love this. And uh, you don't have to make it a, a um, if you want to journal, you journal. Don't make it a stressful thing that you have to journal after. Uh, right. But that could be stressful for people too. I don't want to journal. You don't have to journal. No, no, no. Yeah, but, no, it's, it's you all, know. Everything... Everything here is, is, is framed as a, a tool that if you find it helpful, use it. If it's not so helpful, you can put it aside. You know, it's, it's, it's less of a rule-based system. Right. Um, something I did want to also follow up on with what you were saying is you know, this might be a, a, a gentler way for beginners to start. I, 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 whenever I present this approach, I often um, – get pushback from people that feel that it's too open-ended for beginners, that beginners need more structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, can, I can sympathize with that perspective. And I think even when I started it, I had the same view that, that it might be too loose for beginners. Mm-hmm. But there's, I would say there's a few things in this approach that are structured just enough that in other words, just enough structure for a beginner to, to, to work effectively with. So the permission to come back to the perch whenever they want, the permission to use another practice they may have heard about, um, that, is, that is just enough structure, though, I think, that, so that people don't get in too much into the weeds. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas, whereas other systems, it's almost inevitable that there's this uh, unnecessary tension that comes in between mm-hmm. the instructions and what their mind is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, they're gonna it's have a little to... bit like. A... What were you gonna say? No, nothing. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like you know, because guided meditations are very popular, uh, and are being led in meditation. And to me, that's a little bit like going to a, a foreign city and, and getting on a tour bus, right? Uh, and driving the tour bus around, or driving with a tour bus. You get you get exposed to the city in a certain way, but. There's a lot of aspects of the city that you will never encounter if you only stay on the bus. So right. if you only stay on a guided guided tour bus where you're, you're sort of, your experience is being pointed out to you by the instructions, you know, there's, there's certain kinds of uh, aspects or, or regions of your, your being that never get exposed. Mm-hmm. So getting off the tour bus is analogous to having kind of this more, this looser, more receptive approach to your meditation where you will find yourself going down side streets and side alleys and 
maybe you can feel like you get lost for a period of time. Um, but the, where the analogy breaks down is that if you get lost in the meditation, all you can do, all you have to do is sort of click your heels and come back to your perch. And then you're back on the floor bus in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I, the audience, I really encourage you to look into yin meditation. And that leads me, um, the hour went by so fast, um, mm. I like to share an item that um, could be a food item or something that's worked for you, even something that maybe you used and didn't work for you. I like to share something of my choice and then something of yours. Um, I will go first, so if you, you think about it. Um, okay. I'm very much into a very healthy, uh, something I could throw in my purse, uh, a food supplement, a food substitute or a meal substitute or protein bar. Um, and I came across a bar called Roar Bars, R-A-W-R. Um, this is not a paid advertisement, by the way. None of what I'm saying is um, when I do share the item. But um, I was looking for something that had all the ingredients that I believe in. And these bars are just so delicious. And what I like about them is that they donate 10% of their net proceeds to feed the hungry children worldwide. And their long-term vision is to design a meal replacement bar that would have the nutrients lacking in a starving child's diet. And for each protein bar purchased in America, a meal replacement bar would be sent to a feeding starving child. so I love the company. Um, I just started using them probably about a month and a half. I've gotten two orders so far. They've got five different um, uh, flavors, quote unquote, I guess, but they're mostly organic, um, vegan. Um, so I really encourage you to check them out. Roar Bars, I believe if you just type in R-A-W-R, um, it could be Raw Bars dot organic um you'll find them so big aurora organics actually so you can type that in and it'll come up and they're awesome so what do you got for me josh do you have anything well yeah um one of the things that i've recently gotten back into is a practice called earthing or grounding um it's sort of it's been, it cycles around my orbit a few times where people like Bernie Clark has talked about it, a guy who's looks into energy medicine named James Oshman is talking about it. And it's basically a practice where you place your bare skin, preferably your feet, uh, bare feet on the earth. Um, and the theory is that you absorb, as I understand it, you absorb negative electrons from the earth's field into your body, and that helps reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't fully understand the science of it quite yet, but there's a sandal uh, called Earth Runners, which... So it gives you look your soul, the sole of your foot some protection, but there's a, a little copper plate on um, oh, okay. the foot that, that connects up to the laces of the, of the sandal so that you are conducted uh, or in contact with the, with the earth when you walk. And I got to say, it's, um, it's, I, I could be placebo, but when I wear these, when I walk my dog on the, the wet grass in the morning, I feel palpably more relaxed and calmer. Nothing wrong with placebo it. effect. Yeah, I'm wrong with that at all. There I mean, it's potent. But, um, but so that would be that's sort of what I'm into at the moment as a novel thing. And, uh, well, that's I great. Would, the earth is. I tell that to people all the time. Get out there and 
ground to the earth. Yeah. Try to go out with bare feet and really ground to yeah. the earth. That's awesome. Um, so at this point, so the product would be Earth Runners, which I don't. Again, I don't get any kickback on, but that's that's right. Well, I don't either. I just ha- when I if I right, I just trying to say nice things about things. <laughs> that's it. That's my only motive. So, um, so where can people find you? Um, tell well, me. Uh, virtually, they can find me online at my website, which is joshsummers.net. Mm-hmm. And then there's an event tab there. And if they wanted to find me for a live training, you know, yin yoga or the meditation piece or Chinese medicine piece, um, there's a calendar of events event event page on my site but yeah you do I mean, online I'll, I'll teaching to. too um was... for, I, well, I should say that for the modules that i teach the live modules there's an online preparatory component People no but there prepare. was something else you did online on on a website and i forgot the name of the website but you do an online yin yoga teaching online there was a course i there's a course i developed for yoga journal yes yes that's it you still and doing that? I mean, is it still available? It was recorded. It's a. It's so. It's a. It's a. It's a video. Yeah, I know. But is it still available? Because that was really. Oh yeah. yeah that was really yeah, cool. No, it's, that it's was available great. for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, and, and that's all, if people go on my website, they'll see that that link for that too. That's great. Well, thank you so very much for joining yeah. me today. I so appreciate it, and um, I wish you a wonderful thank day. You. Yeah, thank you, Lenora. I really enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed talking to you. Peace. My hope is that you as a listener will come away from this podcast with a tidbit of information that inspires you in some way towards a healthier you. Um, Thank you for joining us today on It's a New Dawn for You. Our show today was directed and edited by Sharon Ellis Murray. Our theme song is called Dear I, written and performed by my own son, Angelo Michael, and available at bandcamp.com. And I'm your host, Lenora Calaruso, wishing you everlasting health and wellness. You can ask questions and find me on Instagram at It's a New Dawn for You, Mind, Body, Spirit, or Facebook at It's a New Dawn. Remember, there is always a chance to start anew. Your thoughts and actions shape your reality, and you are the captain of your ship. Peace out. Hashtag spread kindness. Pack up your life to start anew. You'll find out some things to be true. Like you are stronger than you once knew. Yeah.